Blog Talk Radio. Talk Radio. This is Candace, and I'm joined here with my co-host Kim. How are you, Kim? I'm good. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. So our third co-host, uh, Rebecca, should be calling in a little later, but we're gonna start a little bit without her um, until she gets here. Um, so we have a fun show today. We have two reviews: one for the new movie Dope that just started, um, that just opened in theaters on Friday. Another one that will be premiering on Netflix soon, What Happened Miss Miss Simone, which is as a documentary on Nina Simone. We have a couple of news items we want to talk to you guys about, um, and we also want to share our kind of semi-spoiler-free discussion on the newest season of Orange is the New Black, season three. And we're going to close out the show in honor of Father's Day with a the discussion on the worst on-screen dads. We talked about, I believe, last uh, last year or the year before, we talked about our favorite on-screen dads, and now we're just going to flip it on its head and talk about the worst or the least, least favorite um, on-screen dads on the big screen and small screen. So we're going to start the show, and I'm going to throw this to Kim. Kim, what did you think about Dope? And give us a um, a bit of a synopsis. Okay, um, I really loved it. Uh, Dope, like you said, premiered this Friday, I believe, directed by Rick Fumayiwa. Um, He also directed The Wood. Um, So I've been hearing about this film for a while, I think since Sundance. So I have to say it does not disappoint. Um, A brief synopsis, basically it's kind of a coming-of-age story um, that focuses on this guy. His name is Malcolm. He's kind of your classic you know, black geek or black nerd. Um, He's obsessed with 90s pop culture and hip-hop references, but he plays in a punk band, um, a punk band named Oreo. (laughs) Um, He he loves uh, punk rock music, but he lives in the bottom, which is like this um, neighborhood near Inglewood in California. So it's kind of run by gang members and drugs and things like that. So he's kind of your, you know, on the outside of all of that, the other, the nerdy black guy. Um, he has his two best mm. friends, Jib and Diggy, and they're, they're in his band with him. And so they're kind of like the outcasts, the nerds at his school with metal detectors and all that stuff. Um, so basically he's just, you know, living his little nerdy life, going about, you know, trying to, it's his senior year of high school. He's getting ready for college. He wants to apply to um Harvard, but of course his guidance counselor is like, you might want to, you know, shoot your sights a little bit lower than that. Um, he writes this essay, mm-hmm. kind of breakdown, a breakdown of Ice Cube's good day. <laughs> so that's his, mm-hmm. you know, admission statement, and his guidance counselor is like, no, you need to make a personal essay, yada, yada. Um, so one day they're, you know, going home, riding home on their bikes, 
and one of the local drug dealers kind of, um, <clears throat> you know, talks to him, and it has him going between him and the girl in the neighborhood, you know, trying to, he's trying to get her back. I think it's his ex-girlfriend played by Zoe Kravitz. And so the drug dealer ends up inviting him to his birthday party. And so, you know, of course, they go because they want to go to a party. Um, the police end up raiding the party, and, you know, they run, try to get out. Next day he gets to school and finds out that the drug dealer has kind of stashed all of his drugs in his book bag. And so the rest of the movie is him trying to get these drugs back to their rightful owner so he doesn't get shot or killed or arrested. Mm. And, you know, kind of comedy ensues as he you know, goes back and forth trying to get these drugs back to their rightful owner or at least get rid of them. So that's a basic synopsis of what the film is about. Um, like I said, I really enjoy the film. It doesn't disappoint at all. Um, you know, he does, the director does a really good job of kind of capturing, you know, the the essence of the time, like, you know, this this culture of these alternative, you know, quote-unquote alternative or nerdy or, you know, acting white black kids and how they live, mm-hmm. um, you know. But he really shows that, you know, all kids aren't the same. That The whole concept of acting white is kind of BS. You know, there are black kids who like different things. You know, they're not all the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does a really good job of uh, doing this kind of parallel portraits of this nerdy overachiever who wants to go to college, you know, kind of fatherless hip-hop head who ends up selling drugs when in reality, you know, you watch the film and that ends up being Malcolm, you know, both of these, terms kind of describe the same kids. So everything's not as black and white as we like to make it, you know, make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy who plays Malcolm is Shamik Moore, who I wasn't, you know, um, aware of his any of his previous work, but he does a really good job in this film. Um, you know, he, he plays Malcolm. He, you know, he's a quintessential nerdy guy, but you really like him. You He has these cool moments. <laughs> you think he, you really root for him as a character. Um, the sidekick, uh, his friends Biggie and Jib are played by Kiersey Clemens, who the only thing I remember seeing her in is um, the Amazon show uh, Transparent. She plays, like, one of the characters' stepdaughter. Um, in the film, she plays Biggie, who's this, she's a lesbian. People always kind of mistake her as a guy. And then Tony Revolori plays Jib, who I think he's either Latino or Middle Eastern. They never really say. You can't really tell. But they had this great kind of sidekick chemistry where they're really funny, just their, the facial expressions they make and their little antics as they're kind of watching Malcolm's whole world kind of go awry. Um, and I will say I was even impressed with ASAP Rocky, who's a rapper, and Chanel Amon, who's a model. They have their um, these kind of cameo. He plays Dom, the drug dealer. She plays this girl named Lily who kind of has this bad reaction to some drugs. Hilarious. She kind of does this whole physical comedy role, which, you know, you wouldn't really expect from a model. So they both had some mm-hmm. great performances there. Um, the biggest complaint is I love Zoe Kravitz, but her character wasn't in the film enough. She was really developed. Oh, she, no. Um, I know. She's so talented and so great, but I feel like she's yeah. underutilized. She's Dom's kind of on-again, off-again girlfriend, and then Malcolm has his crush on her. So you want to see more of her, but you don't really get enough for me because I love Zoe. She looks so much like her mother in this film. It's kind of creepy, but it's, I love it. <laughs> so um, overall, I really like the film. It, you know, it uh, has this really old school vibe, but it's really fresh take on this coming of age story. So I think if you get the chance, you should really go see it. 
Um, the soundtrack is really good. Pharrell did the soundtrack. A lot of cool music going on throughout the film. So it's really good. I had fun. It was a good summer movie. Yeah, I definitely really want to see it. I'm kind of disappointed that Zoe's not really in it as much. And I know that she's kind of the biggest name of the among the cast, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, she has, yeah. like, three or four scenes, and she, I just wanted to see more of her character because she's Zoe Kravitz. Like, she's Zoe Kravitz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just want to see. I wanted mm-hmm. to see more mm-hmm. of her. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a really good film. It's cool. You know, one of the things that was particularly interesting, I thought, just about the concept, well, among, other than the fact that it's it's this quirky, um, nerdy type of, uh, or hip-hop nerd type of um, concept, which I loved, um, was the fact that one is based in California, and I feel like a lot of our black movies that are based in California have a very specific tone and, and premise that they all kind of follow this one. Um, they usually follow this one, like, what is it called, Boys in the Hood or something like that. They right. kind of have exactly. a similar similar premise. But this kind mm-hmm. of turns that on its head. But also what I found interesting about at least the couple of headlines and reviews that I've seen were the comparison to John Hughes movies, which was interesting mm-hmm. to me. And I don't know if that's just like just a kind of an identifier for people to like either get them to read the review or get them to just see the movie. But it's interesting that a lot of people were pairing it to um, John Hughes movies. And I don't know if that has to do with just the fact that they're coming of age movies or what, well, what do you think about that comparison? You know, I can definitely see that. Like when I was watching it, you can, you can get kind of that, that vibe, that same John Hughes vibe that he was giving. Um, and I, you can tell that he's probably influenced by those same movies, probably grew up watching those movies, but, you know, he kind of adds this flair to it with the hip-hop, you know, South Central L.A. vibe. So mm-hmm. I could definitely see that. I was also getting a little mm-hmm. Ferris Bueller vibe in there. You know, it's, it's like a, oh, funny. A, a mashup of a lot of different, you know, coming-of-age teenage movies, but with a twist. Mm-hmm. So I could definitely see that, though. It's interesting also that the director, we've known him mostly from The Wood, which is kind of a coming-of-age movie. And this is mm-hmm. kind of, one, One, The Wood is, what, like 20, it has to be over a decade old, right? I can't remember. The oh, yeah, year. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, it's 99. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, yeah. seems like, um this is kind of his, his sweet spot doing coming-of-age films. So I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I hope... People see it. I definitely really want to see it. I hope I love it. Um, but so thank you for the review. Um, I saw What Happened to Simone, which is um, which is a documentary that's coming to both the both Netflix, which I think is premiering on Netflix on June 26th, and has it is actually coming to the theaters on June 24th. So this week, yeah. So that's, I think that's Wednesday and Friday. Um, so definitely, definitely see it. I cannot recommend it enough. It's interesting because there's a lot of Nina Simone um, movies <laughs> coming out, um, and I know a lot of people are particularly um, uh, sensitive about the way her image is being portrayed on the big screen, and if you are among them, people who are concerned about that, you should definitely see what happened with Simone. One, because it's it's, ta- it's about Nina Simone in her own words and from the people who knew her best, like her daughter, Lisa Simone Kelly, who's featured in the movie, and I believe also um, 
or produced it or co-produced it, I believe. Um, and also there's from her ex-husband, um, who was also her manager at one point, is also featured in the film, um, as well as um, Ilyasa Shabazz, the daughter of, of Malcolm X and Betty Shabazz. She's also featured because she was also actually kind of close to Lisa Simone Kelly, um, Nina Simone's daughter. So it was, it's such a great movie that really kind of digs into the complexities of um, Nina Simone. You know, the her personal demons with just being an, an incredibly passionate person who was performing and writing songs in this time of racial racial turmoil in the South. I mean, obviously, her well, she wasn't born as Nina Simone. She, I forget actually her real name, but she changed her name because her she didn't want her parents to know that she was she was singing these like blasphemous songs because um, she you know like many singers started out in the church and they have a certain image and certain you know just being demure and proper and everything um, and she kind of came out and was just like listen you know she really kind of wore her emotions on her sleeve and once. Um, the civil rights era was going was was happening, and you know all the again all the racial turmoil, especially where she was down in the south. She really started to get involved with that, and her music really reflected her um, passion or views politically and as a black woman in these times. And she was, to quote her, she was unapologetically black, and she wanted everybody who's black to be un- unapologetically black. She wanted everyone to stand up. She wanted everyone to protest. She wanted everyone to get mad. She had no problem getting mad in her personal life or her professional life. And she was just a very strong, proud black woman who, and you hear that in her lyrics, and you hear that a lot in this documentary, and that's a, a, a theme that is heard a lot in this documentary from a, a many different people, all the people who knew her. I think her, um, I think Ilyasa said at one point, she, it wasn't that, she was at odds with the times. The times was at odds with her. She was having trouble living in this era that there was too much complacency. And so she just basically ruffled feathers and had no problem doing that. She she didn't care about the consequences. You know, she wasn't frightened. Um, she, she wanted more people to do that. And um, it was interesting that there was there was a lot of flashbacks and there was a lot of in-person interviews to, to really make it um, some it just made it more personal and you can really kind of connect with it as an audience member. But at one point she said, you know, when she was growing up, she, her, you know, her parents and her parents or family never really talked about race. Um, you know, they just kind of went around and went along their business. It wasn't really like this major topic of discussion, you know, at dinner time. You know, it wasn't really until she grew up and, and really was having to be in this professional environment where she, of course, was doing business with people of all different races where she realized that she was being perceived in a way that she was not comfortable with. Um, while she had all these fans, um, she decided to go into this direction where her politics were displayed in her lyrics and that um, while she was you know, undoubtedly um, talented people were worried because one, one, she had fans that, you know, ran a spectrum of of, um, various races. um, I think her black fans supported her 
but not all of them supported her out loud because they were concerned as well. It was, the, it was these times where it was it was almost like this fear to be, um, you know, talk about these things so passionately out loud in in quote unquote mixed company. While her white fans were like, uh, she's she's really pissed at us basically. So they didn't really know how to feel uh, in certain some of the songs. But you know, obviously, you know. Her songs were magnificent and still, you know, reflect today's times and still um, are iconic. I mean, you know, she she really just was. Her songs almost serve as a biography for those times and and, and of course of, of these times as well. But um, it, you know, I just felt like I knew her so so much better, and I felt like she was not an easy person to do a film on um, because she has all these these conflicting personalities and these conflicting um, um, platforms that she, you know, she wanted to, at one point in the film, um, earlier on, this kind of is repeated a lot in the film when she talks about how she wanted to be, she wanted to play box. She wanted to be a classic pianist um, at Carnegie. Um, and while she did play at Carnegie, a sold-out audience at, at Carnegie, she was playing, you know, what she's known for, jazz. Um, but she's also a, a classically trained pianist. Um, she just ha- she she just wasn't. That's just not where her career took her. And they also talked about um, what other things. They talked about her tumultuous relationship with her husband um, and manager at the time, and you know how. There was much domestic abuse. She also had a very, um, for lack of a better word, passionate personality. Um, And I think at one point, I can't remember who said it, it was almost like, I think think it was her husband is recorded as saying that she almost, that she wanted to, quote, unquote, be, she wanted him to hit her is what he was, in his his world, that's what he had said. But um, things like that where they were, that she was passionate and very much somebody who would stand up for herself and would fight you as hard as you would fight her about any topic and and on any ground. Um, and she became kind of a single mother um, after her divorce, and they talked a little bit about that. They also talked about how her daughter moved away from home just because um, – a lot of different issues that were that are talked about in the film. You know, she was kind of having personal demons. She, you know, she just she was later um, diagnosed, I believe, as like depressive. But she just had a lot of different things going on, and I think that the film didn't, didn't overly complicate anything. It actually made her seem human, um, and it just it was really wonderful how the director, the filmmaker, um, Liz Garbus was able to really balance all these different elements that she was trying to say and really made a very engaging story about one of, honestly, one of the most fascinating figures that ever, um, that we ever knew. So that's my, I I say A++. Everybody should see it. Um, And hopefully you do. Again, it will be streaming on Netflix later this week. So definitely look out for it when it does. Yeah, I am super excited about this film. I know, um, you know, we all have our personal feelings about the movie that's being made, so it's like, you know, whatever. But I I think, mm-hmm. like you said, like, she's such an interesting topic. 
Um, plus, she's from North Carolina, so I feel the need to, you know, love every celebrity from North Carolina. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I remember the first time I heard her sing Nemeki Dipa. Like, I do not know a word of French other than Nemeki Dipa. However, I was like, who is this woman? What is I needed her in my life immediately. She's just so, she's just cool. Just, like, her voice, her style, uh-huh. her sound. I love her. I'm obsessed with her, and I cannot wait to see this movie. So I'm excited. I'm glad it's good. And I feel like she deserves yeah, something yeah. better than what I think we're going to get from that other film. So I'm, I'm excited about it. I love how we're talking about that film but not actually talking about that film. Right. <laughs> we have given that film so much energy and so much. And like I know. So it's like the film that shall not be named, like you know what it is, whatever. But, yeah, so. You know, it's interesting, and I don't mention um, I don't mention the other film on um, in my review of this film because it's just not necessary. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting that everybody who has read it has all has commented about the other film, like, oh, right. you know, but what about this other film? And I'm just like, I don't even want to talk about it because I really just want to get everybody in the know, everybody and their mom to see this film <laughs> like this is right. a film that you guys need to be paying attention to this is a film that you need to be spending your money on this is a film that you need to be um invested in not mm-hmm. some film that is not out yet so we don't need right. to talk about it but i i just strongly want to get everybody to see it. it's going again it's going to be on netflix if you have a netflix mm-hmm. netflix account you can see it for free um, right but I might actually see this on the big screen again just because it's that great. Um, so, yeah, totally see it. Um, next, uh, we're going to go into the news items. Okay, so Sanaa Lathan, who we love, um, she is going to star in, in Executive Produce, the movie adaptation of Omar Tyree's Fly Girl, which is a hugely popular um, book. Um, it was actually a trilogy. Um, it's going to be produced by Lionsgate's Cold Black Films. And Sanaa will portray the film's protagonist, Tracy Ellison, who's a successful businesswoman and workaholic who believes that money is always the key to happiness. Um, so I'm, I'm psyched. I, you know, I have to say I, I did not, I didn't read Fly, the Fly Girl series, but I know, again, it's usually popular, and I'm really happy to hear that she's executive producing the movie. So um, what did you think, Kim, hearing about this? Yeah, I'm also one of the few people who has not read <laughs> Fly Girl. But, like, <laughs> everyone that I know has read it. <laughs> yeah. So, proxy, people are excited about it. I love the fact that Sanaa is producing. Um, and I like I love Sanaa, so that's great. Um, anytime we get to see her on the big screen, I'm excited about it. So, yeah. I mean, hopefully this can be a three-movie deal so we get to, you know, get to see more. Yeah, you know, it's in- yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I believe it was Traji Henson who was talking about be, wanting to be a part of a franchise, and I just feel like we don't really see black women at all, you know, starring in their own franchise. And I'm really trying to think hard. Am I, like, am I misquoting, or is that correct? I'm trying to think of any franchise. I mean, that, well, that oh, was yeah. two films, but... Yeah, that's the only thing that comes to mind for me. Um, uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm even trying to think of action. But, well, oh, yeah, no, nope, that wasn't it. Yeah, I guess that's, 
it that we can think of right now. But this would be really a good platform for for her if it becomes that. Um, I know that co black films don't typically do wide releases, um, or at least that um, not often do wide releases. So I don't mm-hmm. know if that's if this is going to be the same thing, or I don't know what what. But um, that would be awesome if she were to do a franchise. Well, wait, there's Think Like a Man, which is kind of a franchise, but nobody's okay, actually, yeah. everybody's, it's an ensemble, I guess. Right. Yeah. But, um, and The Best Man, that's more right? of an ensemble, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. We need to see more of that. <laughs> we <laughs> actually we need to come up with a list of people that we think can headline a franchise. That could be like another segment at one point. But I have definitely several names, including Tarazi. Exactly. Um, let's see. And the next item um was Chiwetel um Ejiofor is or might be playing um uh a villain in the Doctor Strange movie. Um, called, and the villain's name is Baron Mordo, and those of you who are more well-versed in the comic world will probably know this a little bit more fluently, but um, Baron Baron Mordo is an enemy of Doctor Strange who attempts to kill their mentor um, who is a Tibetan sorcerer called the the Ancient One, um, and Deadline reports that Baron Gordo will be slightly different in the film version and instead will be a blend of multiple characters from the Doctor Strange universe who isn't completely bad. So I'm I'm just like to see him play a villain. I don't feel I feel like we haven't seen him play a villain in a really long time. Or at least I I think the last or the only time I've seen him play the, a villain was in um Children of Men. So I'm excited. And I'm also just excited to see him because I know he's in um, Z for Zachariah, which is a sci-fi, an indie sci-fi film coming out. So I'm just really excited to see him going into the genre category. What do you think, Kim? Yeah, I love Chilltale, and I um, am excited to see. He's pretty much great in everything. <laughs> I can't think of a mm-hmm. bad performance that he's ever done. Um so yeah, I like that we get to see him in in different. You know, now he's doing this kind of you know doing this Marvel thing, and then we can get the twelve years of slave dramatic thing. So I, I love that about him. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited for he's him. He's versatile. So, yeah, very versatile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that should be exciting. Um, so we are going to start talking about Orange is the New Black. Which just, well, I feel like it started a long time ago, but what was it, two weeks ago <laughs> it started? I think it's just been a this week. Is, Not even two. It's been seven, like, it's been like nine days. <laughs> See, this is yeah. a problem with binge watching. It, it like, comes and goes in a flash. It's crazy because I'm just like, and I've seen other people say this too, I really would love for Netflix to just release one episode at a time. Is that is that crazy? Because I really, really w- would like that. And I feel like then you can do, like, live tweeting and stuff like that, and, you know, because then right. the rules of live tweeting become skewed <laughs> once the binge watching, you're just, like, releasing all of them at once. So I don't know what the rules are. Yeah. I feel like the creator of the show kind of said that she wished they did it like that, too, because, you know, it's an experience to watching the show and kind of seeing you unfold week by week. You know, whereas binge watching is like, okay, 
if you don't have time to watch it all in 13 hours, spoilers are going to ruin your life. And then people get mad exactly. and you get mad about spoilers. And then it's just this whole thing about, well, if you want to watch it, you should. It's just so dramatic. Like, it's crazy. It is. Like, I said to myself, one episode a night, I will not be peer pressured into watching all of this on Friday. I will not. I will not. I did more than one episode a night. I stretched it out for a whole week, which is took great restraint on my part. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's very crazy. I think I did it in like four days, which was a slowpoke range according to Twitter. Because Twitter was done like, oh, I'm done by midnight, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Right. It's like a race. <laughs> it is. It's like, and you're not cool <laughs> if you're not on episode nine by eight a.m. It's like, but it's just, I gotta go to work. <laughs> no, do you guys just sit in front of the TV? But that's what people do. Because I know plenty of people who came home from work and did not go to bed till five o'clock in the morning because <laughs> right. they were binging, um, binging the episodes. And what I found, or maybe I just didn't notice before. But I thought that the episodes were longer this season. Like, it was a full one hour. I, I know the finale was, like, an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I think they were a full hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I thought that they were, like, 45 minutes before, but maybe. maybe I'm So what did you think? You're finished, right? You're finished with the season? Yeah, I finished it. <laughs> Definitely finished it. Um I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a little bit more of a slow pace in the first two seasons. Like, I felt like I could, you know, just, you know, watch it at my own pace, and I didn't feel the need to rush through it. Um, More of a slow burn a little bit. Like, there was no major, like, oh, my gosh, I have to see you. What happens next? I have to see what happens next. Mm -hmm. But I really did enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I love the backstories that we got from, you know, some of the characters that were kind of in the background before. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I was not, you know, overly fond of all this stuff with the administration, like their stories. Like, I don't care. I'm not really here for them. I'm here for the prisoners. Mm. But, you know, I kind of saw where it fit in a little bit. But, you know, like Caputo. You mean with Caputo? Caputo, yeah. It's like, I'm not interested in Caputo. I don't care about Caputo. <laughs> and I'm sure you telling me his story and his struggle with those that make me care about him. Still don't care about Caputo as much. But again, that's just me. Um, I feel like, um, I liked, well, let me say, I kind of missed, you know, certain characters that were kind of there at the beginning and then kind of, for whatever reason, had to go away. So I missed those yeah. characters as spoiler-free as possible. And then once they were gone, they were just gone. It's like, okay, we'll wrap that up next season, I guess, or you'll find out what happens next season. So I feel like well, there were a couple of storylines that were kind of just left dangling, but I guess, you know... Yeah. That, that's part of it, part of the drama. But overall, I did appreciate it. I did like it. I enjoyed it. Um, Piper, I feel like she grows more unlikable to me with every season. <laughs> like the first season, she was not my priority. I was more fascinated with the other characters. Second season, I was like, okay, she's not as terrible, I guess. I both still wasn't as concerned with her as I am the other ones. And then this season, I was like, really? Like, I'm going to need you to simmer down a little bit. Like, she's actually getting <laughs> annoying to me at this point. Like, she's trying to be all big and bad. Like, you're not Walter White. Calm down. Like, chill, chill, <laughs> chill. chill. <laughs> and then you try to be a – go ahead. No, I think – you know, I never really was 
on the I hate Kuiper plan, although I know most people are. I I mean, all of them are kind of anti-heroes in their own right. She, I think, is getting is becoming more and more comfortable with her situation. I mean, you know, her situation is quite challenging as as it would be for anybody. Um, but I think, you know, in the beginning, just kind of getting in and not knowing anybody, it's it could be very scary. And I think she's, you know, made the proper alliances. She's she's kind of built her own kind of a little platform and everything. And I do admire that in some respect because that's what everyone else does on the show um, and the backstabbing and all of that. Everybody does that. I mean, people get their butt handed to them in the bathroom, for instance, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> from somebody who they thought was their friend, like last season. So, right. I mean, it, you know, it, things happen. But, yeah, I just wanted to say that. But continue, please. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily hate her. I just was not as, you know, committed to her as I was some of the other characters. But this mm-hmm. season, she just mm-hmm. became annoying to me. Like, she's just annoying. <laughs> <laughs> like, really, calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I love Black Cindy's journey this season. <laughs> like, she is so she is so funny to me. And before, like, the past two seasons, she just kind of pop up in the background. And so we got to see more of her this season. And her dedication to her yeah. journey <laughs> was so fun to watch. Oh, like, right, yeah. And then I really like Gloria. And there's something mm-hmm. about her, like, again, she's one that we weren't really focused on before or I wasn't really focused on, but this season got to see a lot more of her and kind of her her backstory and her motivations and all that stuff. She's just like, I really, I like Gloria. I really like her a lot. Mm-hmm. She's like moved to the yeah. front of one of my favorite characters of the show. I, um, I think, I was just going to say that I think that um, it's interesting that a lot of people really focus on like, the black girls on the show, and I'm glad that this season really also highlighted some of the really great backstories of some of the Latina characters, like yeah. Gloria and Dianara <laughs> and her mom and all of that. And I'm just like, oh, we're finally getting to know them a little more, a little more fully. Um, right. and, and Gloria, I forget the actress's name, but she was just amazing. <laughs> she was one of those people that I wanted to completely hate because she's not an easy person to like. She's very, she she's she's pissed. I mean, she has every reason to be, but she you know she's in this really just BS situation, and she's just really trying to make the most of it. She the whole thing with her and Red, and they have that whole kitchen beef and everything, and then she's got this thing with her son. And it's it's all really it's, it makes good TV, and it really kind of makes her like more of a three dimensional character. Yeah. Yeah, I think some of the characters, you know, they're really fun and they, you know, play up the comedy aspect of the show a lot. But, like, I feel like with Gloria, you always know that Gloria is in prison. Like, she, mm-hmm. there's, like, this kind of darkness mm-hmm. to her as a character. Like, you know that she's in prison. This is not a happy place for her. Like, she's doing what she has no. to do, but this is not where she wants to be. This is not what she wants at all. So I kind of appreciate that, you know, she kind of brings the drama in that aspect mm-hmm. of it. So I really like mm-hmm. that. Um, but, yeah, like you said, I like some of the other characters that we got to see more of. Um, what are the two, Yaritza and, oh, gosh, what's the other girl's name? Um, her name is completely, Yaritza and Maritza. Oh, Maritza. Flocka. Oh, Flocka? Yeah. yeah. Flocka. Yeah, I really like her. 
And it's so funny because the first time I saw that actress, she was on like Courtney, Kim and Courtney take Miami, like one of the Kardashian series, which oh, is really completely hilarious to actually see her being a, like a legitimate actress now. But yeah, I really enjoyed her backstory, <laughs> getting to see more of her. So, like I said, it was a bit slower than the first two seasons, but I, I really enjoyed it. I like. Yeah, I mean, it it was one of those seasons that really kind of bit, it, it just talked about so many different things. And it was interesting that um, there were, I think the, the previous two seasons really had themes, had, you know, general themes that they all kind of were revolved around this one theme. Like, you know, V was really like the queen bee of last season and right. everything kind of revolved around her. Um, I mean, she was just, I mean, she was like a Jenga piece that she just would go and knock down all your Jenga pieces, <laughs> you know, the entire <laughs> season, you know, whatever you were working on, you just come over and stomp on it. And exactly. so that was, it was, it was very much intertwined with her. So it was a little bit more organized in that respect. This season was really about everybody all at once. Like we got Big Boo, we got Tasty, we got, um, um, crazy Eyes, we've got, who wasn't at all called Crazy Eyes this season. Did you notice that? She was strictly called Suzanne this season. I know. I like um, that. I appreciate that, too. <laughs> yeah. And she, you know, her eyes are still crazy, but she was still called Suzanne this season. Um, and she, I, I really kind of liked that they really found humanity in her, even when the, you know, the relationships and the and the book, you know, well, I just spoiled that, but yes, the the book thing that she has going on, and you know, she's she's really kind of carving something for herself, and that that was really interesting. Something that um, one of my, well, the only real, it wasn't really a criticism, but it was just um, an observation from last season that Sophia didn't really have a storyline at all <laughs> last season, right. and so this season she does have a storyline. And it's interesting because it does play or or um, really touches on, you know, transphobia, which is something that we – that's kind of a muted discussion. It is a discussion, but it hasn't really been brought to the forefront, and they really kind of brings it, bring it to the forefront this season on the show. Um, it kind of, to me, kind of comes out of, out of nowhere a little bit, like, oh, when did this – when did this become a problem for these inmates? But um, – I appreciated that they tried to approach that story and the way that this, the, the, her story ended this season, I was just like, Oh, so this is, so I'm interested to see how, how they're going to pick up that story. And because they, it kind of really quickly unraveled. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just interested to see like the, the second part or at least the conclusion of that story, but I'm glad that they at least, you know, inter interwove you know interwove it into this season. Um, I was going to mention Gloria as well because she, you know, she's Gloria is going through it. Everybody else is like, you know, hiding drugs and and all kinds of shenanigans. Gloria is in prison and she's pissed. <laughs> so, <Yes>. And so, <laughs> <You feel that. laughs> yes, she's just like. Yo, none of these girls are listening to her, and she's the smartest person in here, and everybody else is dumb, and she is just frustrated daily. <laughs> so I understood that, uh, and it really kind of 
um, brings a gravity to the situation. Um, you know, they're all in that situation, but hers is she's pr- approaching it much differently. There is a character, and I'm just going to say, just kind of p- to piggyback what uh, Kim had said earlier, there is a character who basically disappears <laughs> throughout the rest of the season. She's in there in the very early beginning. Something happens. She's not in there anymore, and I'm just like, wait, so... What and that's what? it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, so I have questions. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. I'm just like, wait. So we're just gonna end like this, and we're not gonna know what happened to her. <laughs> so I'm interested to see that she was. She's kind of a major character. Um. Mm-hmm. So that is interesting. But what? Um. You know, because everybody has has their clique. She belongs to one of the cliques. Um, and what's interesting that people like Big Boo and Pensatucky, um, a connection that I never would have <laughs> predicted, they were very interesting this season. Um, something, you know, we learned a lot more about Big Boo and her upbringing, her backstory, and we also hear, we do hear actually a little bit um, more backstory from Pensatucky, but as it is, uh, connected to what she's experiencing now, um, because something something is happening with Pensatucky, and you'll learn that in this season. And she um, develops this bond with Boo, which is which is really just fascinating just to hear them talk because they are they they are so different, but also yes. alike. So mm-hmm. so that it's just it's, it just makes really good dialogue between the two of them. Um, so I I really appreciated that. Also, who I don't. I never remember her name. I just call her the Quiet Woman because I never remember what her actual name is because she doesn't ever talk. And so right. that woman, we um, and if you Norma. guys have ever seen the show, Norma, yes. So she, you guys probably know her because she's like the only person who doesn't have anything to say <laughs> on the show. Uh, but we hear a lot more from her, except her voice. We don't ever hear her voice still. Um, but we do, um, and she's, it's it's such a testament to her acting that I feel like I know, I can see all her emotions and what she's, she is saying without actually saying all in her face, which is just, again, the mark of a really great actress. But we hear, we, we see more about, um, we learn more about her backstory and what she did to get into prison, which is, you know, I always, I always wondered about her because she just, seems so un, unlikely to do anything, but yeah, she she, she yeah. definitely did something. <laughs> um, so, so that was that was really interesting. And then um, there's that, and then uh, who else? What I was gonna say, Caputo. You know what's interesting? The the relationship he has with somebody on the show, and I'm just like. What? I was right. when I first saw them together. I was just like, when did this happen? <laughs> like, right. it just it's, it is the most unlikely relationship. <laughs> I was like, what? So random. Um, yeah. but interesting. Cause, but yeah, like Kim said, we do get some more of his his backstory as well, personal backstory. Um, and how he basically wound up in prison, so to speak. Um. Who else am I going to say? Um, I really, really appreciated 
the um, relationship and a dialogue between Dianara and her mom, whose name I can't mm-hmm. remember. But yeah. they, yeah, they're, they're, you know, it's just, it's almost kind of heartbreaking because they are, they are the only mother and daughter family. <laughs> they are actually a family in prison, and it's just, it's, it's, it's sad to see, you know, just like, you know, her mom was saying, like, you ended up here with me, and, and no mom wants to see their daughter make the same awful mistake that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So you, you, you get that, and, um, you know, it, it's that that was really touching. There's a lot of really touching moments, I would say, even in, particularly in the latter half of the season, that you, it's just like you, you really, it really hits home, like, this is a really effed up situation for these two. You know, it's just, right. it is the worst possible situation. Um, and then, you know, uh, what's her name? Mary Seenburgen um, starts this season, her. and her character is really interesting. And her character, you know, it's interesting because I thought her character was going to be a villain, and I'm just like, oh, I actually kind of like her. <laughs> you right. Know? Yeah. And yeah. It, <laughs> It was it was it was awkward, but it was it was good to kind of see her in that role. I had just she she was just in the last two seasons of Justified, and she was that she was just batty, you know. And so to see her kind of have this like really you know um, vulnerable mo- so many vulnerable moments on this show, I was just like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot that you you can be this actress because she was insane and unjustified. Um, <laughs> So I mean, I'm thinking in my head, I'm just like, were you taping these characters at the same time? Because how? <laughs> but um, that was really interesting as well, and that um, her character is tied to uh, Dianara and her mom's characters. Um, mm-hmm. Who else am I thinking? Yeah, um, I will say that I really like the um, the whole theme that they had with mothering and being a mother when you have like this impossible situation, mm-hmm. and we see it with Dianara and her mm-hmm. mom, and then Dianara and the choices that she makes. And then even with Gloria, and I know this is not too much of a spoiler, in that first episode where they had all the kids of the prisoners come to the prison for like a Mother's Mm. Day type thing. Like how do you parent when you're, you know, locked away and trying to keep that Mm -hmm. connection and how hard and difficult that Mm -hmm. is? You know, I really would appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's true. And that's even Sophia, she's dealing with the same thing. It's just like, you know, it's hard to be like, you know, trying to discipline somebody and you're you're behind bars. You 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 know, you're behind bars one, so you did something wrong, so it's hard to it's hard for especially a teenager. They both have teenage sons and they're both like, you know, how am I taking you know, how am I t- how am I taking punishment or discipline or why am I listening to you when you landed up in jail type of thing. And so it's, it's hard to kind of have that um, maintain that authority when you're behind bars, you know, and someone else is raising your kid, basically. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's all these things that you need, and they're both feeling it, and it's just like they can't. And that, you know, that's also, they respond to it differently, but, you know, Gloria is pissed that she so many, so you know, all these things are happening, and she can't be a mom. You know, she's right. a mom, but can't be a mom. Like she's coming down on her son, and it's just like, you know, it's it's like a joke. Like really, you're gonna tell me what to do? You're in jail. So yeah. it, it's like you feel that. Um, but no, that's a good point. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I would also say um, there's there's a couple. 
who else? There, I guess I had all these notes I'm trying to think about. Um, Leanne? I have, I really had to look up her name because I never, I don't <laughs> think I ever knew it. I just called her a method. Yeah. But, right. but, yes, Leanne. Her backstory yeah. is completely unexpected, I think, just because, yes. I, you know, I only knew her as the cellmate. And so I knew her, you know, very kind of rough around the edges and stuff like that. I'm like, she, she comes from a very um, not, you know, not, it, just unexpected backstory that I think that people will be kind of surprised about. Um, and that's really interesting. Um, I, had, I also had a question. This was another kind of unresolved thing with Bennett, Sayonara's friend right <laughs> you know the yeah, yeah i like people just like dropped off and it's like wait but what excuse me i'm confused yeah <laughs> yeah that was yeah. i don't i have questions i don't i don't know i don't, I don't even know how to describe what happened i'm like wait so what's going on so that was what? weird i don't even yeah if anybody can help us out with that because i don't I have no idea. <laughs> like that, and they, like, they showed them at one point, and I'm like, I still don't know what we're talking about. Exactly. So that was like, really so confused. Right. Yeah, that was kind of <laughs> weird, too. Yeah, there are definitely some unresolved questions this season. <laughs> definitely mm-hmm. some of those. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, that I also like Chang and Norma, like just seeing how young they were in the flashbacks and then the characters that they are mm-hmm. now, like how long these women have been behind bars. Like, that was kind of sad to me. It's yeah. like, oh, my gosh. Like, they have been there for decades. Like, decades. Oh, particularly Chang. I was just like, oh, my gosh, you've been here for that long? Right. Oh, dear. For years <laughs> like, and years and years. Yeah, yeah and I'm, I'm just thinking about, like, all the things that they've seen. Since they've been there, all the people that they've seen, all the situations that they've seen, like, how do you navigate that? How do you survive decades in prison? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah. And it's interesting. And she's kind of, Chang's always been kind of somebody that kind of was in the in the background a bit. But she, her mm-hmm. story is really insane. So it's <laughs> like, you know, I was watching, I was like, what? She was down for the get down like that? Right. <laughs> like, she was real intense. <laughs> so that was really interesting. I also liked, um, oh, gosh, what is the other Asian woman's name? Um, oh, So-So. The young So-so. girl? So-So, yeah. yes. She, yeah, yeah she it was cool. interesting because that also, yeah, that, that kind of brought up another it, it, um situation or issue about being in prison and being um and how do you deal with medication how do you treat how do you treat prisoners and so that right. is, um that that's something that kind of came about and that which was interesting and red which we who we didn't talk about red and her things going on she right. has a much more subdued season but there's something that developed that I'm just like oh that's not, at least to me I wasn't expecting it Right, yeah, not at all. Didn't see that coming, but yeah, very interesting situation there. But again, I think it just mm-hmm. again it kind of just shows how these women have to, you know, kind of wheel and deal and adapt and try to make the best to, you know, mm-hmm. carve out some type of a life when they're, you know, locked up behind bars. It's the most. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's it's just 
It really, yeah, it really kind of does tear more toward the drama season, although there are definitely Mm -hmm. some comedic elements. I mean, I think every, almost every scene with Suzanne is pure comedy. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. just because she's just like, I mean, she's just kind of going through it. She's dealing with a loss. (laughs) So she's she's just going through it, and it's just like in her own way. And it's Mm -hmm. it's always just kind of funny to me. Yeah, but I really did like the scene with her and Tacey where Tacey really just had to break it down to her, like, you know, this has happened, Mm -hmm. this is what it is, like, you got to just move on. Like, I really like that scene, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they, I didn't realize how close they were until this season. Like, they, she, they are really, really tight allies. Um, Mm -hmm. And she's kind of, Tacey's kind of one of, if not the only person really talks to Suzanne as if she's, you know, just like one of them. Like she talk, they talk, right. they talk to her as if she doesn't, you know, I'm trying to say it in a way that doesn't sound awful. Right. <laughs> she, they, they talk to her as if she's just one of them, basically. Right. She talks um, to her like Suzanne but, and not like crazy eyes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, but yeah, I with you know obviously we we kind of said what our criticisms were, but our, I mean I was completely engaged the entire time. I did have questions, but I, generally I would give it like a I would give it like an eight this season. Yeah, yeah, like like you said, I did have questions. There there's some things that just weren't resolved, and you know it's hard to do that in mm-hmm. what ten thirteen episodes or whatever. Um. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't as, you know, fast-paced as the other seasons. So, yeah, I think 8, 8.5 is a good range for it. Um, I was looking at one article, and they wrote about how it kind of decentralized the whole villain aspect this season. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. you got to this on more of the stories. There wasn't, like, like clearly last season, V was the bad guy. <laughs> and I loved mm-hmm. her. I loved her. But, but this season, you didn't really have that. It was just them kind of fighting against the system and, you know, the mm-hmm. rules and regulations and all this new administrative stuff that came along. So, yeah, I appreciated that, though. So, yeah, I think it was mm-hmm. pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. They they did a lot in 10 episodes, a lot. But, yeah. Yeah, they did. And now we have to wait an entire year for season four. <laughs> That's the only like, draw to the binge oh, watching. There's like a full eleven months and two weeks before we get this again. <laughs> so yes, yeah, and this is why it should they should release one episode at a time. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll say it. Yeah, but it, since it is Father's Day, we're gonna move on to our next segment and just quickly. Say what our um, what our top or the countdown of the worst TV TV and film dads. And I'm gonna throw this to Kim, who's on your list. Okay. Um. Well, one of my favorite bad TV dads has to be Papa Pope, and I know you're not a Scandal fan anymore, but he <laughs> Joe Morton is the best villain on TV right now. I love him so much. Um, he, mm. like, I always say, like, Olivia Pope really didn't stand a chance because of the parents that she has. Like, <laughs> she really didn't. Our parents mm-hmm. are wackadoodles, but they're really smart wackadoodles, which <laughs> makes them, like, deadly. Like, Pablo Pope is always a step ahead of the game, always, usually, even though they mm. found a way to 
spoiler alert, to kind of take him down this season, but I don't feel like that's the end of him. Um, uh-huh. And it's crazy because the stuff that he's saying to Olivia, half the time it makes, you know, valid sense. His approach is just deadly and <laughs> not great, so <laughs> there's some issues there. Um, so he's definitely one of my favorite bad dads. Um, and this season, or well, this year, you know, everyone's been on the Empire train. I think Lucius Lyons is a uh-huh. horrible person in general. <laughs> Uh, he's mm-hmm. a horrible person, which makes him a horrible dad. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just, the way he pits his sons against each other, he's just not a very likable character, likable father. He just kind of sucks all the way around. So, yep. yeah, he's on my list. Um, and it's weird because these are horrible characters, but I do kind of kind of enjoy watching them. Bad dad. Um, right, yeah. bad dad. Love it. Um, Walter White. <laughs> Breaking Bad, you know, Whoa. selling drugs is not good, so that kind of automatically makes you kind of a bad dad if you're going to be a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> Just by default, <laughs> you're kind of a bad dad. Um, so, yeah, and the fact that he, you know, took out Hank, that wasn't a very nice thing to do, take out her <laughs> child's <laughs> uncle. <laughs> that puts you in the bad dad category. Um, let's see. My list is kind of short. Let's see, on the film side, bad dad. I've never actually seen Star Wars, but all of my research tells me that Darth Vader is a pretty bad dad. <laughs> like the ultimate. Uh, like if you Google bad movie dads, he's on every list that pops up. So I'm go ahead and ask so him. Uh, likewise, I've never seen the Taken movies, but if all of your children are constantly kidnapped and everyone around you is kidnapped, you might not be the best father. <laughs> I don't want you He's in my great life. I don't want to be kidnapped just by virtue of being related to you. Like, stay away. That's true. <laughs> Please leave me alone. That's true. Um, so, yeah, that's the only ones I had on my list right there. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about Walter White. <laughs> <laughs> who I did was going to put on my list, but then I was just like, you remember why Walter White got into the crazy business that he got into? He was trying yeah. to provide for his family. <laughs> like, you know, probably not the best way to do it, but it was definitely the quickest way to do it. Um, would I recommend it? Probably not, but he. He, you know, provided for them. He also, you know, ended up losing all the money. But, you know, it's a thought that counts. <laughs> yeah, I would say he was in the good father territory up until maybe season three. And then when you're sitting on millions and you're just doing this for the adrenaline of it all, that's when you peter over into bad dad territory. Like, you have enough money. They're going to be good. You're doing this for fun now. <laughs> That is true. That's a good point. <laughs> and, you know, if you are at all associated with Gus Spring, you are putting everybody you know in danger <laughs> because exactly. that man was out of his mind. So that's true. Good point. Good point. Um, I, too, had Lucian Lyons on my list because he he's a bad husband, bad father, bad friend. <laughs> bad business person, just not a good person. Um, and so he needs not procreate <laughs> ever again. Um, right. I also had 
I had I took it back and went to Wesley Snipes and Disappearing Acts because I watched that recently for the first time, maybe like two years ago. I was like, mm-hmm. dude, what? I was so mad. I was throwing all my shoes at the TV screen. I was so mad. But and I want to also say I think Wesley Snipes again. He, he has a reputation. In Waiting to Exhale, didn't they have children? Oh, yes. He was horrible. Yeah, see? He was horrible. Um, I also want to say, um, I can't remember his name, but Amber's dad from Parenthood, Amber and her brother's dad on Parenthood. Oh, yeah. John Corbett. I don't remember the character name, but yeah. Yes. Aiden. <laughs> Aiden was running amok on Parenthood. Um. <laughs> Yeah, him. Um, if you watch Justified, all I have to say is Arlo Givens because he was a hot mess. Um, <laughs> if you watch Mad Men, Don Draper, he – oh, my gosh, I can't – I have so many issues with Don Draper, and him being a dad is one to, like, 99 of them. Um, <laughs> I would also say I would also say Jack Nicholson from The Shining because he, you know, was trying to kill his his family, and that wasn't very family-like to do that. Yeah. Um, oh, and Dexter. Oh, my gosh, how did I forget? Dexter from – he's somebody who should have never had a child because he had his hands full being a serial killer. So that's really where he should have been focused with. Um, but, yeah, so that's my list. Awesome. No, Anybody else? has been on my list to watch forever, like forever. Maybe I'll try to get that in this summer. Just binge watch it because everyone I know really you likes should. it. You should. I mean, it's it's good. Um, I was I was really happy with it. I was like, what? This man is crazy. Like he, you know, he was a um, what do you call it? Like a this is not what it's called, but basically being a blood blood splatter expert. I think is what it's called. He was that. So know. he worked in like the forensic, you know, law enforcement field yet also was doing all this craziness under all of their noses. It was just like, what? So it was kind of like in the respect where Walter White was also the brother-in-law of a DEA agent, which was like the craziest thing of all because they were basically chasing each other the entire the entire series, which made really great TV. Every episode, wow. no, every scene with, I can't remember his name. The, the, his brother-in-law and Walter was a tense scene. And who oh. could forget, um, I am the danger. Right. Or, or tread lightly. Hopefully. Tread lightly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I still use that on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> you better tread lightly. Tread lightly. Did I do it? Tread lightly. Yes. <laughs> awesome. it's, it's like the perfect threat. It's like it's the perfect threat. It is because you get it. It's just like, oh, I'm I'm concerned because if I don't tread right. lightly, then clearly something right. will happen. I'm not even gonna tell you what's gonna happen. I'm just gonna tell you, tread lightly, home. Tread lightly. <laughs> it's so. <hard. laughs> yes. All right, well, that concludes this episode of Cinema Noir. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, Thanks to my co-host, Kimberly, and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Happy Sunday, everyone.